This episode is brought to you by Jinx, the superfood-powered dog kibble everyone's been talking about. See the results for yourself and try their one-month transformation. Within the first few weeks, you'll see how Jinx can help with your dog's energy, mood, and even digestion. And it's all thanks to the high-quality ingredients they use, like organic chicken, Atlantic salmon, and grass-fed beef. Try the one-month transformation today. Find Jinx in your local Walmart. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone's well. Now we're getting well into spring. It's nice. Lighter nights. I love it. We just need some warm weather now, hopefully, for the summer, like we did last year. (laughs) Today, I've got a really interesting guest for you and me to meet. I don't know him at all. And I'm really looking forward to it. He's a brilliant writer, a comedian, a producer, an author. He's written so many books best-selling children's books and he recently had a, an amazing documentary on all four called Jews Don't Count. Quite controversial but fascinating. We watched it and we loved it and I'm really looking forward to meeting him and finding out a little bit more about him. It's the wonderful David Badil. This is lovely talking to David Badil. Hello. Hi, Twiggy. It's very lovely for me too. Great pleasure. Virtually meeting you for the first time. Yeah. How are you today? I'm all right, actually. It's a gorgeous day, isn't it? Well, it is here. Are you in London? I am in London. I yeah, don't know when so this is I. going out, but um, apparently it is about to get very cold. I know. We saw it on the news last so it's going to snow. Do you think it's going to snow down here? We don't usually get it, though, do we? Um, I don't feel snow down here. I just know it's going to get cold, which is a worry, what with heating costs uh, and all oh, that. I know, but, um, tell me. but I like snow, having said that. I always really like, I don't know what you feel about it, but I'm always quite excited when it snows because it snows less, I've noticed, in the world than it used to in our world. I know. Uh, because of climate change. And I always think, well, at least the first couple of days when it's very beautiful, I always think that's I nice. agree. Actually, this morning when I just was checking on my ipad things some you know how things pop up and i pressed it and it was um it was on my instagram actually (laughs) and it it really made me smile it was a panda a young panda on it's snowing and he's on a slope and he goes onto his back and slides down the slope i think i've seen that one so sweet and he looks so (laughs) happy (laughs) <laughs> yeah, what I was going to say was, it's lovely for a couple of days, and then you get a bit annoyed with the slush uh, and with the fact that your car won't start. But having said that, now you've brought up pandas, uh, I uh, I don't know if that's a thing about Instagram because I'm more on Twitter than on Instagram. But the thing about Instagram I've noticed if I do use it is within seconds someone's noticed that I like cats. Some, I mean, the algorithm has noticed that I like cats. Okay. So somehow or other, when I'm looking through Instagram, within seconds, there's you get 50, cats. 50, 60 cat videos. And then I could just spend all day looking at cute <laughs> cat videos. And I also do a thing of sending them to my daughter, who I think I think gets bored of it. Uh, she like, she's, apart from anything, she's probably seen them. That's so, there is that, hyster- have you seen the historical one where the cat kind of sings? It's uh, almost like it sings in tune. I mean, my, again, my daughter showed me, and my granddaughter thinks it's the funniest thing. And it, okay, it, well, I'd like to it, see it that. It kind one. of goes meow, 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 but it does a tune. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> well, I have a theory about this, Twiggy, which uh, you, being of my generation, will possibly remember, which is that years and years ago on the program That's Life, uh, oh, there yeah. was a dog that could say sausages. Do you remember that? That's <laughs> Right, and at the really? time, uh, it was a bloke. A bloke said, "Look, my dog says sausages," and if anyone who doesn't know, it was basically a dog with oh, yes. <laughs> right? And and at the time, everyone was just thought this is amazing. But I think it was a predictor of what was going to happen with the internet because the internet oh, yeah. is now about a third of the internet is just that animals doing That's cute. Right. And I think they're the they're the links that most people tune into yeah. well i suppose in our stressful times 
it's quite nice to go on to those and just check That's out true. for a bit. That's true. I agree. But I also think I think it's a good thing because I think it makes people realise that animals have got personalities, animals are have got, you know, empathy. And I think that's something that's very important. I think. Well, I think probably much more than humans. Actually. Well, sometimes much more than humans. Yeah, definitely. Do you have any? Do you have? Yeah, any I have four cats. I'm very obsessed. with Oh, cats. you've got four cats. Four cats. Yeah. I mean, oh, there's a history with that. You are a cat person. Well, there's a history with it, which is to do. They're all in the same family, so we have oh. a, a big maternal cat called Pip, who is my daughter's cat, uh, uh-huh. who who had quite a lot of kittens early on. We kept on thinking oh, we must get her done, but by the time we'd got said thought that she'd basically she'd, gone... ha- she'd had sex again basically let's not put too fine a point on it and, <laughs> and, and had another lot of kittens oh. so we kept we gave away well, she had nine kittens we gave away uh, all <gasps> oh of them apart God. from two ron and ron and tiger who we've kept uh and then uh it's a slightly sad note to this but it, you know it's got an upbeat to it at the end which is that after my parents died we had given one of them uh zelda uh, and, and zelda came back and Zelda came back, but oh. I tell you what, it wasn't like long lost families. It was really like they hated <laughs> each other. Yeah, unless there's an episode of long lost families where the long lost person has had to run away and hide under a cupboard and started hissing oh, yeah. at each other. I mean, it was like it carnage for about two months, but now they sort of live together. But that's interesting because we our, ours are long gone, but. About 20 years ago, or 25 years ago, Lee, my husband, yeah. got me two kittens for my birthday. Oh, right. And we got little moggy ones. Yeah. And he let me pick them because he found a woman who cat just had kittens and it was right. in our area. And I went round and I always wanted a, a, a little black cat. So I picked, right. we picked her. Yeah. And then in the, in the litter, there was a little black and white one who kept coming and biting my shoelaces, and he was obviously a bit of a bruiser. Yeah. And and the woman said that the little black cat we'd picked always slept with this one. So we thought, oh, no. well, that's they're, they're the pair, the brother and sister. Yeah. I'm sorry, so just we, one more cat thing. Well, oh, go on. I, mean, I can do the whole thing about cats, but so <laughs> it's interesting you. that you said Lee got you. I mean, obviously, you were already together, but I. Uh, when I first started seeing Morwenna, who's my wife, wife now, Morwenna Banks, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, she's an actress and a comedian, but she's also the voice of Mummy Pig. I know. Uh, she's the voice of Mummy Pig, <laughs> which is complicated for a Jewish bloke, to be honest, but there we go. <laughs> anyway, uh, she, uh, when I first started seeing her, I got her a cat, a cat which we had uh, for many years called Monkey. And I now Aww. think that's a bit amazing. That's a bit amazing because I clearly had decided unconsciously and she might not have decided that this one, this but relationship. She was, she was the one. Yeah, because a cat isn't for Christmas, is it? It's for no, keeps. Tell me. Yeah. But with my cats, we thought we'd made this brilliant decision of these two. And it turned out that the black and white, the male cat, was a terrible bully. And right. he was horrible. We called them, because Lee at the time was doing Merchant of Venice. Uh, yeah, Merchant of Venice. No, no, Midsummer Night's Dream. Right. And so we called them Titania and Oberon. Oh, uh, right. Lovely. And he, Oberon, he was so horrible to her. He used, if I put food down, he would push her out of the way and eat hers. So right. I had to feed them separately. And, yeah, cats and then can he, be, it can be bullies. Oh, he was horrible. If <laughs> she was sitting on a chair, he would go and stare at her till she got off. <laughs> really? And then he'd kind of hit her with his paw. Oh, and dear. then sadly, he died, and she became this little shell of a, a kitten and very timid. And then mm. he died when he was four. He, four. he that we, mm. we didn't know. He had a weak heart. Oh, okay. um, and we took him to it, and it was sad. But she became queen of the house. She right. completely changed. Just, once yeah. he was out of the picture. Yeah. They're so, so territorial. So they actually, are. he did her a favor because she had a wonderful life. She ran the house. Right. It was her house. She her, she yeah. came so, out of her shell. So, the, so. so what you're saying is the tough love early on, when when he was out of the picture, made her into a sort of better person. She was well, able. No, no, I think I think he bullied her, and she yeah, was frightened maybe, of him. Maybe in a way that worked out for because what you know she was she was like okay I have to live with this, and then when he was gone, she was able to you know spread her Ta-da! wings a bit. She yeah, exactly. Her wings. Yeah, we put a crown on her, and she became <laughs> Queen Titania. Yeah. <laughs> Which are probably, I mean, I'm happy to talk about cats forever, but, but probably Kobe, your producer, is thinking, thinking, stop talking stop about talking cats. About stop cats. About cats. Stop <laughs> <laughs>
I don't know whether you know, but I grew up, I mean, I'm, I'm older than you, but I grew up very close to where you grew up. I come from Neasden. Oh, do you? I didn't Did you know hear that? that. I'm from Neasden. You're from Dollis Hill, right? I'm from Dollis Hill, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, originally I was born in America in a uh, place called Troy, in which is sort of upstate New York, because my dad was part of what in the 60s was called the brain drain, uh, oh, which okay. was a thing whereby, uh, you know, people who had, degrees in chemistry which he did uh would go or stuff like that would go to america to find work because there was less work in britain so he went uh, just after they got married to live in america and, t- and teach in america upstate new york and um they were clearly this is the second time i've said this but this time about a human being having a lot of sex because <laughs> I, I was born and my older brother was born in america uh and but then we came back here and yeah my most of my childhood was spent in dolly's hill um, funny. I remember I did, it. My my sister's best friend lived in Dollis. So where I'm going to get specific? Where 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 did you live in Neasden? I do you know do you know where the IKEA building is on the yeah. on the North Circular Road? Yeah, of course. Well, that used to be. That wasn't obviously wasn't IKEA. It was I think it was um, a secretarial college or something. Oh, right. Anyway, there's a road to the left of that, and then there's a big building that used to that I think is a, uh, a fast food place now beginning right. with M oh yes I, I, <laughs> and, I've been and there it, it used to be a pub it used to be a pub called the Palladium or something and there's a road there called St Raphael's Way and I yeah. lived there off the oh, North right. Circular Road as a kid all my all my childhood and you know until what happened to me happened age 16 and yeah and it all kind of changed so, but I mean you've probably talked about this on this podcast already but I'm going to ask you so, so were you just walking around the streets of Neasden when someone said, "Hang on, <laughs> you you could be a model"? What? No, 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 no. It wasn't. It was. It was pretty close. No, it was. A, I was a schoolgirl, and um, uh, I had a boyfriend who had a friend who worked on a magazine. It was one of those things. Right. And she she saw something. I mean, listen, I was sixteen. I was, you know, I was really young and a very. Uns- I mean, not like. I see sixteen-year-olds today, and they seem yeah. so grown up and sophisticated. Yeah, yeah. and well, they are, um, I, 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 I wasn't. <laughs> no, no. But well, I, Jen- I, I obviously had a kind of look that she recognised. Yeah. That I didn't. Well, nobody knew because the look was changing then. You know, it was the yeah. mid-sixties. Yeah, but uh, that when that happened, I mean, I, to, to stop me if you've talked about this a lot on this podcast. I know, and I know you're meant to be interviewing me, but I'm really I'm interested. Sorry, I'm meant to be interviewed. I know, but I am really interested. <laughs> Uh, when, when that happened, did you just go along with it or was there at any point that you thought, uh, you know, because obviously it is a complicated world, modelling and, uh, you know, lots of bad stuff can happen in it. Oh, if it tell didn't me, happen I know. To you. Uh, it, so, I was lucky because this person who was my boyfriend, when, when the whole thing kind of kicked off and somebody, I was sent to have my hair cut, then sent to be photographed and I was doing all that kind of makeup on my own because... You know, I was at uh, weekends. I wasn't allowed to wear makeup at school, right? And um, so he photographed me, and then that—that's what kicked it off. And the journalist. So you were still at school. It. You were still at I was school still when at school. it kicked off. And I had—I had to have permission to leave school. And wow. we got my dad got a really. I went to a grammar school actually, and um, in Neasden. No, in uh, Bronsbury. Oh, in Bronsbury. So which school which is, is that? Well, it's now owned by. I think he still owns it, Cat Stevens. Is it? It's a Muslim boys' wow. school, I think. It's still Is it in there. Salisbury it's Road. Yeah, it's on right. the top of the hill. Yes, I know. Just down is. the road from the station. Yes, and it used to be. It we I used to be Bron- Bronsbury and Kilburn Girl High School for Girls. Oh, right. That's where I okay. went. Right. And I loved it actually. I wasn't planning to leave, but well, then you, had, the, you sort of had to leave. Did you? I well, I didn't have to, but wasn't there a lot of press attention? So it was really very hard for you to carry on yeah, just yeah. being a schoolgirl. And my dad, my dad, who was I love, I was really close to my, I was close to my mum, but I'm really close to my dad. <clears throat> he said, "I'm not sure you're making the right decision. You know, this could, you know, all be over in three months, mm. which it could have been. I mean, yeah. nobody knew. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and." Um, but he said, if I don't give you permission to leave, you know, you might end up hating me because you'll always think, what if? Yeah. I mean, it was quite a wise choice, actually. Well, I think it's about the 60s. And I am a bit younger, only a tiny bit younger than you. So I didn't really 
I don't have much memory of the 60s. My, no, much were you were born in the 60s. Well, what year were you born? 64. Oh, I was yeah. born in well, 1964. Yeah, and that happened to me in 66. So Right. You yeah, were was, a bubba. I was two. <laughs> uh, so I didn't remember that. But, well, but, but I do think my sense of the 60s, I mean the 70s as well, but certainly the 1960s, is that it was a time when people could become iconic of the, t- of the time. That there were specific people of which you all won who, like, they encapsulated the time. Now, I'm not sure that happens anymore quite in the same way. No, I know. You know I because... certainly, listen, I certainly didn't plan it. No, I know. But, you, you know, you've it. got to remember also what was happening. The Beatles kind of came along, what, three or four years before me. So when I went to America in 67, it was like I was part of this, what they called the British invasion. Yeah. And I went in to do, you know, photographic work for American Vogue. And when I landed at Kennedy Airport, it was like madness. There were press really? there and screaming girls and banners with my I mean, it was like insane. Twiggy but mania. it was all to do it well, it was to do with that British yeah. thing. I mean it was it was amazing on one level, but a bit yeah. scary actually. And then I went to Japan and it was the same and they they even <laughs> They even had a, a Twiggy competition and these little Japanese girls dressed up to look like me, which was hysterical. That's amazing. <laughs> but I tell you what it is, it, it sort of brings home something, I suppose, which is that the Beatles and the, and all the rest of it in the 60s, obviously you think of them as being about music, but it was also about fashion. So oh, yeah, absolutely. It was about, it was, uh, yeah, but it, it maybe, you know, took a little while for they're like okay here's the music thing happening that that we need something that says like and now there's a fashion revolution of which of which you were part i suppose i mean well, I don't also know... in america when i went in there and i was in my little weenie mini skirts and my short hair and my eyelashes and we've got film of me meeting other teenage girls in new york and they're all still dressed like uh, Jackie Kennedy, you know, Jackie and right. Axis, with yes. knee-length skirts and handbags and little hats. Yeah. It, yeah. You know, it took a while to kick in over there. Yeah. We, I so... know you're supposed to be interested me, but I'm so interested. So, so who, <laughs> so so we who, should do the lunch. Who was dressing you at that point in time? Who, me. What, yeah, who was, what, like, stylish in terms of style? Who, you I'm were doing it yourself? Me, yeah. I, I Actually, I used to make most of my clothes because I couldn't buy them. And then there was an amazing store called Bieber, that again, you wouldn't remember, but and Barbara Hulanicki was the uh, the lady who ran that, and she and I became great friends, and I used to wear a lot of her clothes, but I used to make a lot of my clothes because I couldn't buy them. Really? Okay, so I'm not sure people know that. I didn't know that. I assumed you were being dressed by I don't know enough about sixties fashion, but like Mary Quant or whatever. <laughs> That's what I assumed. Like, no, you- because that whole thing that happens now, where everyone has to have a stylist and a publicist, that didn't. You know, it was it was a new thing. You know, what happened to me had never happened to anyone before. Models before me, if you look at them, they were well. There were a few. There was Jean Shrimpton, who was like my idol. She right. was like five years before me yeah and she was like the changeover because yes. before her she was john the baptist wim- to your jesus yeah well i don't know about that but <laughs> but the women before her yeah were very sophisticated right you know elegant ladies yes then jean came along and was this breath of fresh air i mean she was so beautiful and she she always reminded me of like a uh, a young horse, a young colt with the hair and the long yeah. skinny legs, and and she was like, and then I, and then suddenly I popped up, this funny little kid with the skinny legs. No, but that is so interesting, isn't it? Because because you're right, uh, you know, in the in the late fifties, still when you imagine models, it's sort of like women, yeah, yeah, and elegant. sort of even the way that they're pictured, you sort of imagine them at home with a dinner set. Yeah, exactly. So really what happened to me couldn't have happened five years before. Yeah. And as you said, it probably wouldn't have happened five or six years, well, ten years later in the mid-70s. So, I mean, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time, so to speak. Okay. You better ask me some questions about me, I suppose. We should get over to you. What are you drinking, yeah. by the way, if I may ask? I've got lemon and ginger. Uh, well, I have an empty, nearly empty cup of coffee here. 
Uh, so if you're interested, I normally start with a cup of tea. I say it is tea with me. So what tea do you drink? Well, I normally breakfast tea. I normally start with breakfast tea, um, which, to be fair to her, is normally made by Morwenna. She gets up earlier than me um, and makes me. It's very, very kind of her. Uh, almost every morning, a cup of tea. Good girl, good girl. Uh, and I have, I, I have that to begin with, and then it's kind of coffee after that. Uh, and fairly, you know, I drink too much coffee, which is because I don't sleep well. I know, I read uh, I'm that. Bad well, have you always been a bad sleeper? Because I'm the opposite. I can sleep for 10, hour, ten hours. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, uh, yeah. Well, well done. <laughs> um, I, I, I am. Um, always have been a bad sleeper yeah since i was a kid uh and i'm always in search i was thinking i should do a documentary about this just in search of a good night's sleep uh that i am um, try many many things but do you think you know reading your i mean i knew a lot about you and i followed lots of things you've done but i, I being a good researcher that i am i read your bio and You've done so much. You've written, I mean, I, I, it blew me. I said to my husband, my God, I actually, before I read that, but I said, does he ever sleep? Because you, you've written <laughs> books, you write plays, you do documentaries, you do stand-up, mm. you do. Yeah. Do you think I know. it's because your brain is so kind of on all the time? Does that? Do you think that's to do with you not sleeping? <laughs> yeah, I think there is a relationship between it. I have a lot of thoughts and a lot of ideas. And um, I do think that I find it very hard to switch off. Mm. Um, I um, resist it, even though I really want to go to sleep. I find it uh, that, that I resist unconsciousness. Um, and uh, I've noticed recently I've started to listen to audiobooks uh, and podcasts and stuff. Maybe I'll listen to your one before I go to sleep. And that helps a bit. I'll tell you why. I'm tricking my brain. I'm tricking my brain because my brain doesn't really want to go to sleep. How much I on the surface and my body wants to go to sleep my brain doesn't want to go to sleep but if i listen to an audiobook or podcast it's like oh you're not going to sleep you're listening to something and i think and then gradually if i do fall asleep which i don't always then it's like the brain has accepted that okay, it's still going to lull you should itself do a program on so, it it is fascinating actually well i did i did do a podcast about it actually a while back i did a podcast but about it'd be interesting to do a visual one because you could meet meet yeah. other people and i mean it is fascinating why why yeah. do some people manage like me to go i mean what i do every night i, I don't look at my ipad or my phone i mean sometimes i just check to make sure my daughter or something hasn't called mm. because i'm always on 24 hour call as you are as a parent um yeah of course you will check that but then I read, I read, I'm always in the middle of a novel and I read well, I and that see, gets I, me I into that world until yeah. I start well, to... Well, that's why up. I listen to audiobooks for the same reason. Um, my eyes, this is going to be me complaining about ageing now. <laughs> so my eyes, you know, obviously you probably have a, a, an image of me wearing glasses, yes. right? Yes. I don't, I hardly wear them anymore because my eyes have changed now. So, uh, you know, you know, you put your glass, yeah. some people put On their the glasses, that's because my eyes, my, yeah, I can't see close up anymore with my glasses on. Right, oh, something's where? happened to my eyes. It's, it's got well, it's happened to happens a lot of people. It's called presbyopia, and basically, it means that your short sightedness change changes so that you can see. I can now see really well without quite a long way away because uh, I, I thought probably yeah, you were long, wearing contacts I, or something. No, no, distant distance. I can see well. What I can't see is any, any I, I can't, I can see my hand, but if I had writing on my hand, I wouldn't be able to read it. So it's, do you wear worse. reading glasses? I would do if I knew where they were. <laughs> so I never know where they are, right? And, uh, on your and, head, on uh, your I, head. I, yeah, well, uh, you know, the last thing, the last, if I was to totally give up on being a person of any, you know, <laughs> sexiness, I would wear round my neck, reading glasses. Oh, I do that. Like so... Jenny Murray. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it must <laughs> be to do with my age. I'm sorry no, because otherwise I lose. I mean, if I'm going out, I don't. But at home, I wear them around my neck. Right. But I've got very, very pretty beaded chains. So. Oh, well, you probably, you would probably be able to make, make them into something fashionable and sexy. So. But I, I would look like a bearded Jenny Murray uh, wearing them. So, so, so what I do mainly now is, is I listen to stuff rather than reading it. Which I really like, actually. Um, I really like audiobooks yeah, uh, and all that. But just to get back to your question, I about ages ago about my brain. Um, I, I think that I have done a lot of stuff in my life because I don't restrict myself 
to specific kind of media because I just have ideas, right? I have a lot of ideas and I think, well, this would be an interesting, like we just said, like a possible documentary about sleep or whatever. That's an interesting idea. And I never think, oh, but I'm not a whatever, so I can't do that. I think what I think is I'm a storyteller primarily. That in my and, and stories you can tell as documentaries, as children's books, which I do, as as plays, as films, as stand-up comedy. It's all the same really for me. And when people say, as they often do, oh you do so many things, what I think is really I do one thing, which is storytelling in lots of different forms. It's not like I'm a comedian and a plumber. I, 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 there's many things I can't do, but what I can do is tell stories in, in, in different ways. I also read that you won an award for one of your kids' books, right? Because they said yeah. it was the book that made nine to 13-year-olds laugh more than any other book. That's brilliant. Yeah. yeah, no, that is brilliant, yeah. I won the Laugh Out Loud award the for that. The Laugh Out Loud. Um, um, and uh, used by the way, it used that used to be called the Roll Doll Award. And what was that book called? Let's give it a plug. Uh, that book was the Parent Agency, which was my first children's book. Which is a well. Uh, here's the thing about that, right? Let me tell you the story of that book, which is very illustrative of the way that I think. So I didn't at any point think to myself, I must write a children's book because David Williams has written children's books and he's done well. I want a bit of that. It's not that. It's like one day. My son, who at the time was eight and very cute, he's now a hulking 18-year-old bloke, but he was eight-year-old at the time, said to me, Dad, why doesn't Harry Potter run away from the Dursleys, which is the horrible family he has to live with when he's not a Hogwarts, why doesn't he run away from them and try and find some better parents? And I thought, that's interesting, the idea of a a world in which children can choose their parents. Uh, And I thought, that sounds like a classic idea for a children's book, a world in which children can choose their own parents, right? And I thought someone else must have written it. Sometimes that happens with ideas. I think they're so, sound, so they ring a bell that sounds so classic. I think someone must have had this idea already, but they hadn't. So at that point, my kind of low, lower middle class, Dolly's Hill, immigrant stock <laughs> thing, ticks, alarm bell ticks, I think I better do this you know, because someone else will do it and I need to do it. Um, and so I just decided to write and did it. You, and <clears throat> did you test it on your son when you wrote it? Yeah, he actually did. My son has hardly read any of my children's books, but he did read that one and he did like it. Um, and my daughter. Uh, and yeah, it, it, since then, I think I've sold over two million children's oh books. So goodness. it was a good thing. Oh my goodness. That, that That's... It's a good thing that he said that. I did buy him, I believe at the time, an iPod uh-huh. to say thank you for the idea. It's also quite funny, I think, that my son came up with an idea of how you can swap your parents. Like, I, I should have thought that's a bit, uh, it's a bit worrying that my son has had this idea. <laughs> but Does he still live at home? Or is, it, is, is he at uni or something? He goes to a, a music college in East London uh, where he's studying music production. Oh, lovely. Uh, but what he mainly is is unbelievably funny, my son. He's unbelievably funny. But I wonder funny. why, with the uh, two, two parents it, <laughs> that he's got. Yeah, well, it's, not, it's not always the way. But honestly, my son... Because I think, you know what you said earlier about 16-year-olds being much more sophisticated yeah. now? I think I think every all children uh, grow up much quicker now. They or, do, yeah. You know, which is a good and bad mm-hmm. thing because of the internet. Uh-huh. But I tell you one good thing, and I think about this when I write children's books, is I think they're much funnier than they used to be, oh, children. Oh, like, I see. Yeah, yeah cause, that's true. Because when we were young, there was nothing, was there, for children in terms of, like, there's the magic roundabout. I grew up on Enid Blyton and things like that, yeah. which I did. And actually, exactly. my gra- I've got a granddaughter of seven. She's coming up to eight. And um, I'm going to get that book for her of yours. But is she too young? Do you think she's no, she'll be eight, no, eight I have in May? Six-year-old readers. Oh, I'm going to get. It. I'll get it. I'll get it for her birthday because she's going to be. Um... Please do, please do. It's World Book Day today. I know this is. I know it is. Today, she, she's it's actually World Book she's Day. She's dressing up. They dress up at school as different. Well, no, the kids. I get sent every day on World Book Day. Every World Book Day, people send me photos of their oh, kids dressed up as my characters. That's... Which is unbelievably That's sweet. Brilliant! That must be so. It lovely. is unbelievably sweet. Anyway, I'm going to take you back. Did you know when you were little that 
you were going to kind of be a stand-up and a comedian and a writer. No, what did not. you want to be? Because it's always... I wanted to be a footballer. I mean, it's straightforward. Yeah, because I've heard you hate football. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, straightforwardly, I, I, and it's a bit of an obvious answer, but I did want to be a footballer. A tiny part of me uh, still thinks I should have been a footballer, even though every single person I've ever played football with would disagree with that and would say, well, obviously you weren't good enough. Uh, and I, I think rationally, I think, well, you're right. But another part of me thinks, no, no, I ne <laughs> I think a lot of men think this, but I never had the chance. I never, I should have gone for a trial. Are you part of a kind of celebrity team or do you play? Do you play? Uh, actually, I sort of am. Yeah, I play, although I, at the moment I'm regularly getting injured. So I've got some recurring problem with my left leg, whereby I, I don't bother to really rest it for long enough because I love playing football. And I think I'm 58. It's not, I haven't got that much time left. I've got to play again. <laughs> so instead of instead of leaving it, I go back and play. And this just happened last Tuesday. I do a kick that's a bit of a big kick and then I have to limp off. Yeah. All right. So but on I play with, yeah, some like Angus Deaton. Hugh Dennis, um, you know, but a few other people. Oh, it must be so much fun. Yeah, it is really fun. It is really fun. We're called the Snake Pit Strollers. That's the name <laughs> of our brilliant. team. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we play uh, regularly every Tuesday night. And actually, over the years, I've played in that team for 30 years. Uh, wow. Now, so, now my son plays. So it's, a, it's a thing that happens. It's like all of life is there because gradually, as the years have gone by, obviously, we've got older. Some players have actually even passed away. But... There's a new generation of coming sons up. Oh, coming that's up lovely. Yeah, who, who play. And, you know, it's lovely, except they're much better than us. <laughs> they're much better than us. And uh, well, I can't younger. catch any of them. Yeah, they're much younger. Have you, got, have, you, have you got a team, obviously, that you follow? Chelsea. Oh, Chelsea. Oh, they're around yeah. the corner yeah, from no, us. It's not, it's not good at the moment. Isn't it? I don't. I don't no, follow. Really I don't follow football. <laughs> no, okay. I do, I do watch the... Uh, and, I do watch the um, cup final. No good. And I do watch you know, the do you big. Watch we watch England in the World Cup. That, yeah. That's okay. that's as much as my football knowledge okay. is. And I, probably, and I, I should probably answer your question about whether. So I, when I was young, I'm actually writing a, a sort of memoir at the moment because I did a, I did a show in the West End a few years ago about my family, specifically about my parents because I had quite a strange upbringing and I wanted to talk about it on stage. Uh, and I I was just writing in that about how when I was young and I don't know maybe this was the same for you even though you got suddenly taken out of it but fame and success on, on the sort of level that I've experienced it was like totally another an, another planet like now I think kids grow up thinking that fame's quite close that they and could quite just easy walk into to it. happen quite easy yeah <laughs> but when I was growing up it's literally another planet here I could tell you how I, I expressed that so for my bar mitzvah right I got an ele I got no I didn't I got about 50 quid right which was a lot of money I was very excited yeah, yeah I got about 50 quid uh and I went and bought an electric guitar uh, -huh. uh from a shop in Hendon Central uh and I told a friend of mine that I'd bought an electric guitar and he didn't believe me <laughs> and I'll tell you what why he didn't believe me as far as he was concerned people who had electric guitars were on the telly they were you know Mick Ronson and uh you know people Mark Bolan, and obviously this little Jewish kid from <laughs> Dolly's Hill couldn't own something like they owned. And I, I, I remember that as like it's true. It was true. There was a sense in which that world on the TV was closed off. It wasn't at my world at all. So I still wake up some days surprised that I'm in it because it feels to me like my my parents were totally not of showbiz or bohemian or anything like that. They, they were basically, my dad's a working class bloke from Swansea who had got out of poverty by being good at science uh, and became a, you know, someone who worked for Unilever, although he then got made redundant and sold dinky toys for the rest of his life. My mum was a refugee. My mum was a refugee from know, yeah, Nazism. I, I, is that true that you had a feeling that your mum had come from another family and to get out uh, of Nazism? No, that Nazi was her feeling. Was that her feeling? Oh, it wasn't you. Had she told you that? Well, she revealed it. My mum was mental, just to be clear. Uh, and so, uh, not surprisingly, because she'd had a very difficult childhood, yeah. uh, but she revealed suddenly on Who Do You Think You Are? I did the first Who Do You Think You Are, the first series. Have you done it? Yeah, I, I, I did it. Yeah, I did the I, 
I think I was in the first, or maybe the second, no, the second, because I really wanted to do it and they never came to me and yeah. I was really annoyed. And then in the second series, they came okay. and said, well, if we can annoyed. find second a Second series isn't that bad, Twiggy. Second series <laughs> yeah, isn't I wanted to be in the first series. No, I, <laughs> no it's one of my favourite programmes. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. great. Uh, so, so my mum on my show suddenly said, and I'd never heard her say it before, Oh, I don't think my parents, your grandparents, the ones I'd grown up with as my grandparents, are actually my parents. I think what she thought was that her uncle, my great uncle Arno, who didn't survive the Holocaust, oh, she thought she thought um, that he'd had a baby and given it to my uh, the people I thought were my grandparents, and that's who my mum thought she was that they'd smuggled this baby out. It's to a get, complicated story. To get them it's, out of Nazi Germany. Right. Well, get the baby out. They were getting out. Her, her, her thing was that her, the people I thought of as her parents and my grandparents, Otty and Ernst Fabian, right? Uh, her, her idea was, oh, they, they couldn't have children. And I, there, there's some evidence for that because Otty was 40, which is quite old then. Yeah, my mum had me at 40. Well, there and you go. She, so, and she didn't speak to my dad for three months. She was so furious because she thought, really? it, which apparently I only found this out. When I was growing up, my eldest, I've got an elder sister who's 15 years older than me, and she can remember my mum being furious because she thought it was, what would the neighbours say that she, she got pregnant at 40? She thought it was really? disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> but hang on a minute. Sorry, uh, I'm, I'm in the middle of telling <laughs> you about one, but I must just stop for a minute and say, did your mum... How could she be furious with your dad? Because well, exactly. did she not know the facts of life? Two, did she not takes know? two to tango, exactly. Takes two to tango. It's not just your dad's responsibility. No, listen, if you'd met my mum, you'd understand. I'd love to have heard I that love, argument. I, I love my mum. I loved her. I'd love she, to have heard the argument have... where she said, how dare you? How dare you make no, me pregnant at 40? My, Shirley, my sister, said she'd actually like sent him to Coventry for three months. She wouldn't talk to him. <laughs> That's hilarious. Anyway, anyway go so on. My, my mum believed that... <laughs> that um, her parents were not her parents, that her uncle was her father, and that um, the baby that her uncle had just had wasn't, you know, to get her, get that baby out of Germany, uh -huh. they, they, you know, she gave it, they gave it to the, 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 their sister and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Anyway, I didn't find any evidence for that. Um, oh, did you didn't? You are. No. Oh, so uh, I wonder why she thought that. Because she, she was mad. Oh, okay. <laughs> Partly because she was mad. Um, and, and also, to be fair to her, um, my mum got out of Nazi Germany and, uh, in, in July 1939. Wow. Um, so, so a lot of, you know, stuff probably went on, some of which I don't know about, in order to get her out at the last minute. Um, she got out with her parents. So my grandparents got out as well. Uh, but their wider family didn't, and they all didn't survive. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, That's so horrible. I can't it is absolutely it. horrible. And it's one reason why I've ended up talking a lot about anti-Semitism, I think. Well, we, Lee and I watched your programme that was on recently. I mean, yeah. it was... I mean, I know it probably caused quite a lot of scandal amongst some people, but it was... Um, it was so watchable and so thank you. Um, interesting. Thank you. Actually, I must just tell you something because because you probably know him, but but a lot of people wrote to me about it, and, and Rod Stewart wrote to me about it. Yeah, I, I, uh, I do know. Yeah, it was fantastic. I suddenly got in the morning via a, a PR uh, called Barbara Sharon. I don't know if you know her. I don't Barbara know. Sharon. She's a, <laughs> she had sent me this um, letter, this email, and I thought, who's this from? And so, someone telling me, just saying, it's like, oh, I really enjoyed your program, and I thought it had a great message. And it said, me old mucker. It said about me. It said, I love your program, me old mucker. I thought he was calling funny. me old mucker. That's... And it was Ross. So I was oh, very happy about that. That's brilliant. But that's probably, probably why I've ended up, talking about it, I mean, there's many reasons. There's many reasons why I've been talking about it, but at heart, I think, is as I've grown older, the sort of feeling of coming from that background where where such extreme violence was perpetrated on my own family yeah. makes me think, like, people who think that this is over, people who think that, you know, well, anti-Semitism isn't something we have to worry about is obviously, obviously wrong. Oh, at 100%. I totally... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Jinx, the superfood-powered dog kibble everyone's been talking about. See the results for yourself and try their one-month transformation. Within the first few weeks, you'll see how Jinx can help with your dog's energy, mood, and even digestion. And it's all thanks to the high-quality ingredients they use, like organic chicken, Atlantic salmon, and grass-fed beef. Try the one-month transformation today. Find Jinx in your local Walmart. Totally agree. But um, it was it was just a really, really... I mean, Lee and I tend to watch our favourite things on TV are documentaries. Right. And, um, so that's I've ended what we up always, doing documentaries. Yeah. I know you've done the one I didn't see, which I'd love to see. I, I read in your thing you did a thing on the Silk Road. Yeah, please do. Can you find? Can, can you find it. it? Can you find it yeah, online? Yeah, it, I think so. Well, I don't know if it's well, free, but I, well, that's I think right. it only. I think I, think, I can I think afford to buy it. I'm sure you can afford it. <laughs> I, th- I don't actually know what it's on. Probably on. It's probably on Amazon. I think, or might oh, even it? be on. It might just be on, like, sometimes you can pay for stuff on YouTube. Because you did it but for it, what, the Discovery, Discovery Channel, right? Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll, have a, I'll have a float around. Yeah, no, I love that. I love I loved doing that documentary. So most of the time I do stuff that is, you know, like, I sort of generate it myself. Like, yeah. As I said, I have a lot of ideas. But this one, unusually, was just a company coming to me and saying, would you like to do... Would you front uh, it? Yeah, a thing where you trace the history of the Silk Road. Oh, and what I really liked brilliant. about that... Yeah, what I loved about it was, and this is the way I did it, was I didn't do any research beforehand. I just went to, I think, Xi'an in China was where it started and travelled over three months to Istanbul and did a thing, which I think there should be more of on telly, and I want to do more of this, where rather than an expert, I mean, obviously that's fine, but rather than an expert telling you about a history or whatever. It's a bloke or a woman who doesn't know about it, learning about it. Learning about it, absolutely. Yeah. Learning about it and trying to make sense of it yeah, as absolutely. I go. Was there any part of it that was scary? I mean, you must have gone through, mm. did you go through, through some weird places? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember once in Uzbekistan, um, being there at about three o'clock in the morning, and Uzbekistan is not a brilliant place in terms of human rights and all sorts no. of things. Uh, and uh, they just suddenly took all our passports away, and there was a sort of like hour where we thought, right, we're obviously going to be in some terrible midnight express prison in a minute. There was also some weird stuff in China, I have to say. So I was I was in Kashgar uh, as part of this in 2015, which is where the Uyghurs are based. Uh, you know the Uyghurs. No. Do you know about them? No. Okay, so the Uyghurs are an ethnic minority in China okay. who are being are being massively discriminated against oh, by I the see. Chinese. Okay. They're, they're basically a Muslim minority in China. Okay. And I didn't know anything about it because, as I say, I'm not an expert and I'd gone as a sort of learner, right? Yeah. So I get there to this part, and essentially I'm just talking about the Silk Road, but I think, oh, this is amazing. This is a part of China that feels more like Turkey. Right. Okay. And and pe- people are not Han Chinese there. They're mainly Muslim and whatever. But there's clearly a lot of tension. There's a okay. lot of tension. And we were in a hotel that was essentially behind barbed wire. And I didn't know anything about that. Oh my Any- god. Anyway, cut to you know now, and there's really it's really gone very very horrible for for that minority there from the Chinese. So. Oh god. Uh, but I mean, you know, for me, it's all a, as I say, it's a learning thing. I wouldn't really have known about that. Had I not gone to China, gone and done the Silk Road and understood. And did you stay away for the whole three months? You didn't come back and forth? No, no, I did. I went back and forth because my oh, kids were did. still quite young. Yeah, then my kids, it was in 2015, I think, okay. I did that show. So my kids were still young. And so I, I made it like, it meant more work in terms of traveling. I had to do quite a lot of flying backwards and forwards, but I didn't want to stay away for three months. No, um, no, that's that's why when I watch those programs, I always kind of think, my God, how do you stay away that long? Especially yeah. if you've got kids. So no, I, mean... <laughs> I, I, I couldn't have done that. So you played Wembley Arena. That's a that's scary. <laughs> that was quite a long. That was a long time ago. But I know, yeah, but we to the... play Wembley Arena, I mean, how many people does that hold? Twelve thousand. Oh my 12, god, twelve thousand. But but the, it was like no one had done that in British comedy before. Arena comedy wasn't a thing. Now people like Peter Kay and Michael yeah. McIntyre do that all the time. But at the time, no one had done it, uh, and so it was very scary. Yeah. I mean, it might. I actually think 
stand-up comedy is probably in in the business of performing. I think stand-up comedies must be the hardest thing to do because it must yeah. feel so lonely. And if the jokes don't kick in, it must be so yeah. frightening. No, it's awful. I don't, I don't know how you guys. When people do it, talk actually. about dying on stage, it does. It probably is as close as possible as you can come <laughs> to experiencing dying while you're standing up and breathing. It's really uh, horrible. And it has happened to me uh, a few times, especially early on in my career. Um, but, um, it, you know, Wembley Arena was brilliant. I did it with Rob Newman, who I used to be in a double act yeah, with a long yeah, time yeah. ago. Uh, and uh, we were in this show in the 90s called The Mary White's Experience, which uh, I remember at the time, it well. We haven't really talked about that, but it was brilliant. Yeah, it was a thing that, that was said at the time, which is that comedy is the new rock and roll. And <laughs> there, was a sort of, there was a sort of truth to that because... Uh, the way we presented ourselves was a bit more like rock stars than like comedians, but also the audience was younger. It was younger and it was more hysterical in, in the room. Like in the room, there was people like acting like it was a rock gig more, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if it was up there with you arriving in New York, but but there was a sort of mania. <laughs> but stand-up, is, stand-up is, is terrifying, but actually the more you do it, the more it isn't. And so I've, thing- pe- people I've talked to do it say it is very addictive and if you haven't done it yeah. for a while, you kind of want to get back there. It's yeah. kind of like, it's scary, but you want to yeah. do it. Is that true? Yeah, yeah it is addictive. It's, it's very addictive. I saw Jack Whitehall saying this once. He said the real crack <laughs> is like doing a new joke and it landing really well. Uh, and that's true. It's like if you do a new joke and it and it lands and it hits, it's a brilliant feeling. But uh, it, it's weird because if you don't do it for a while, you want to get back to it, but that's when the anxiety kicks in. Yeah, because doing it every night is the way of it becoming normalised. Did right? you, did you not... have a favourite comedian growing up? I mean, you know, like a Tommy Tommy Cooper or one of those? Or... Eric Morgan was, was my favourite comedian oh, growing up, I think, well... when I was young. And then Peter Cook, actually. Oh, Peter Cook. yeah, he was amazing. Yeah. Uh, my, my, uh, I, I don't know if you're, but my brother, who's very important in my, my older brother uh-huh. in my comedy, uh, he's a comedy writer himself, Ivor Badil. Uh, he played me Derek and Clive, which I don't know if you know, it's this bootleg oh, yeah. sort of thing yeah. that yeah. Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, yeah. it's disgusting and obscene <laughs> and h- hilarious. It's so hilarious. It's almost definitely unlistenable to now uh, by uh, anyone who's worried about, you know, uh, being politics being being correct and being not being cancelled but it's fucking hilarious <laughs> and that was that, that was incredibly important to me when i was young is is oh, that tape yeah and now you've got a new book coming out haven't you well i've got a new book coming out so i, I wrote this book about anti-semitism called jews don't count yes uh, which has had quite a big impact and as you say a documentary uh, but i've written a new one which will be i think it'll be it'll make less noise but i like it called the god desire which is uh, so people. One of the things people are confused about about me, I think, is because I talk a lot about being Jewish. Is I am also an atheist. I know. I read that. It's, that is fascinating. Yeah. Well, it's because uh, I'm a culturally Jewish, and I experience anti-Semitism. My family's experienced anti-Semitism, but none of that for me is to do with God. Um, okay. I, I, I I like all the traditions, and I like and I grew up doing it all i grew up doing lots of religious stuff i went to a very jewish primary school in in called the northwest london jewish day school which is in In cricklewood yeah yeah and so i had a very jewish upbringing but for many years i haven't believed in god and the book is trying to make sense of that and it's sort of about how if you're a member of a minority associated with religion your identity is still mixed up with religion even if you don't believe in god and it's sort of about that Really? Okay, well, very interesting. And I'm just going to, before we say goodbye, I've got to just mention, because I, I read that you are a huge David Bowie fan. Yeah, I, I actually do a podcast, uh, which I'm sure has, has less listeners than this one, uh, called Stalking Time for the Moon Boys, which is a quote from the Bewley Brothers by David Bowie. Uh, I am uh, I am a massive fan of David Bowie. I won't. I met him once. You, you'll have met him many times. I'm well, sure. I, if you remember, if you know his albums, we did. Oh, of course, I'm you're on, on the pin-ups. cover of Pinups, which was meant to. We shot. We of course you're on the cover of Pinups. We shot that for English Vogue. <laughs> this is hysterical. We shot that for English Vogue, right? Yeah. And then the editor of English Vogue. I mean, you've got to remember it was 1972, three something like that, and he was the biggest sing in great yeah, britain of course. and we shot this cover for english vogue 
And the editor, in his great wisdom, said, I can't put a man on the cover of English Vogue. Really? And we said, are you crazy? You'll sell more copies of really? Vogue. And, yeah, he wouldn't. So David wow. said, oh, while they're dithering about, I'll put it on the cover of, he was recording pinups then. And oh. he said, well, I'll put it on the cover. Oh, I never knew so that. So it's had a much longer life. <laughs> yeah. I never knew that. That's amazing. So, so when you did that shoot, it wasn't, it wasn't for pinups? No. It was for English Vogue cover. Oh, well, that's, that's really interesting. But the fashionistas wouldn't let it on. But they were crazy because he was wearing makeup. They could have credited the makeup. Yeah, but also I don't understand that. It's like presumably getting David Bowie and you in 1972 was quite a big deal. So surely it was already pre-arranged. This is the cover of Vogue. Yeah, I mean, it was done. The editress was there, but it was, well, the, they suddenly the, changed main, their minds. It was the main picture editor. Who I, I can't even remember who, who it was at the time. It's so long ago. But they just right. wouldn't. They said, we cannot put a man. We've never had a man on the cover of Vogue and we can't do it now. Yeah. Did they not notice it was a man and a woman? <laughs> Did they not spot that? I know. Tell me. <laughs> anyway, I'm glad you're a fan because he was absolutely No, gorgeous. obviously, I'm a massive, massive really, fan. Well, me too. I mean, yeah, I was yeah. beside myself no, he's still, to meet he's him. still my... Primary idol in music. Well, his music is David extraordinary. Bowie. When you listen to what was going on then, and then you listen to him. Yeah. Anyway, we could go on forever. Thank you so much for coming to have tea with me. What pleasure! I loved it. Thank you, Twiggy. What a joy it was. And maybe we'll meet in person one day. I hope so. That'd I hope nice. so. Thank you so much. Good luck with the book. Thank you. Well, I could have gone on chatting to David for hours. What a great guy. And um, I've got to get those books for my grandchildren. They sound fabulous. He's amazing. He's done so many brilliant things. And do check out that documentary, Jews Don't Count on All Four. And if you like to hear about these amazing comedians and stand-ups, I have also interviewed Tracy Orman and Ben Elton, Adam Buxton. So go down my podcast list and find them. Fascinating stories. They're extraordinary people. Anyway, have a good week. See you soon. Bye. If this is your first time listening to Tea with Twiggy, please do remember to tell your friends. You can also subscribe for free on your podcast app and listen to all my previous guests. If you want to connect with me, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Twiggy. Or you can find me on Instagram at Twiggy Lawson. My thanks go to all the people that have helped this podcast happen. Many thanks to James Carroll and all the team at North Bank Talent Management. Thanks to all the team at Stripped Media, including Ben Williams, who edits the show, my producer, Kobe Omanaka, and executive producers, Tom Wally and Dave Corkery. The music you can hear now is my version of Waterloo Sunset by The Kinks. If you'd like to hear the whole song, you can find it and all the other songs I've recorded on iTunes and Spotify. So check it out. I look forward to you joining me for my next episode. So see you then. Bye. just heard a stripped media production.